0: Well, it's very nice to be here with all of you. Nice to hear all your voices. I just think it's really uh, inspiring and uh, joyful to see people connecting at a Sangha event. You know, I, I sort of have this image of the maybe when I first started to practice, which is about 30 years ago, of coming to a sitting group, and everybody was very quiet. And then, you know, if there was a break, nobody really talked to each other, and then everybody just kind of dispersed at the end. it, it was kind of like there was sort of this association that somehow silence is spiritual, you know which it's, it's a useful tool, but, but um, so it, it's, I'm really glad that this sangha uh, connects with each other in that way. Um, I'm really also grateful to be here, just uh, teaching and to be invited. To in for James. Um, I'm sure we are all happy for him. And uh, I know that he's uh, not absolutely positive because I can't, you know, know that for sure. But knowing James as I do, I suspect he's having a wonderful time. Uh, I know that he loves to go to IMS and, and has spent many months practicing there. And uh, i 'm not going to talk about recovery tonight. Uh, there's already been so much talk about it, <laughs> just in the announcements. Um, uh, James, uh, when, he, when we agreed on a date, when I was available, and when uh, he would like me to fill in, he implied that he 'd like me to talk about something that was sort of related to the time of year, I suppose. and uh, and so I thought I would talk about Donna, which um, is something that unfortunately mostly gets relegated to the announcements uh, that we talk about Donna. And it mostly seems to be about leaving money for the teachers, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that by any means. But, um, but it becomes such a narrow meaning and when People in Dharma circles even talk about dana now. They're generally talking about giving money to the teachers. And do we give enough? Is it, you know, can people survive on dana? And I, I'm certainly not going to talk about that. Um, because it, it is a very, it, it winds up, um, unfortunately, I think maybe taking something away from this precious topic. Um, now, I can remember, actually, James giving some talks about generosity some years ago. Uh, and um, and that what, what would happen to me very often, as soon as he would start to talk about being generous, is I would start to shrink, or I would feel that I was shrinking. And I would start to judge myself and think, oh, I'm not generous enough. Um, So I'm going to try not to cause anyone to feel that uh, tonight. Uh, What I want to do is really expand our understanding of generosity uh, to see, in some sense, just the ways that we are already generous so that uh, we can just appreciate the natural giving that we're already doing and maybe uh, help us to... Find other ways to be generous that don't involve emptying our pocketbook. Uh, Just to start with a quote from Ayakema, who was a a German Buddhist nun, in her book uh, Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. She says that generosity diminishes the ego. And she says that diminishing the ego is the essence of the pathway of purification and leads to the eventual actual experience of non-self. So this is what I think uh, was the reasoning behind the Buddha teaching generosity as a foundation practice, which was one of the things we see in the suttas that when he's particularly addressing lay people, before he teaches meditation, before he teaches the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, he teaches generosity, because it's such a direct way to letting go. And since the cause of suffering is not letting go, he's showing a direct way to end suffering. So the first kind of generosity actually I want to talk about is generosity towards ourselves. Because I think that if we can't be generous towards ourselves then any other generosity is somewhat tainted you know if we think about it you know if if we can't be kind to ourselves in you know the multiple ways be they material psychological spiritual then any giving that we're doing is in a sense trying to get something to, to make ourselves feel okay about ourselves. So I think it's really important to start by being generous with ourselves. And as with doing loving kindness for ourselves, maybe it's the hardest kind of generosity. When you come here, when you came here tonight, It was a gift to yourself. It was an act of generosity towards yourself. It was taking care of yourself, giving yourself something healing, comforting, inspiring. So already, you've succeeded. Uh, Already, you're being. So if you were thinking, as I said, oh, I'm not very generous with myself. Gee, saying we should be generous with ourselves, you're here and you've already done that. You, you've already, it's already an act of generosity. And I really think that our meditation practice is one of the key ways that we can be generous towards ourselves, to give ourselves the gift of practice on a regular basis. And there's this idea sometimes that practice is selfish. You know, you'll hear this kind of among people that uh, don't practice, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, um Oh, oh, how can you go away for two weeks or a month of meditation, uh, you know, leaving uh, your family or leaving your job? You know, it's, it's just all about you. And it's such a misunderstanding, right? Because it's that kindness towards ourselves, it's that gift we give ourselves, which allows us to have something to give to others. If we don't take care of ourselves, if we're not kind to ourselves, if we don't, don't develop our practice, our spiritual condition, then we don't have anything of real substance to give. We're, we're then trying to give from an empty well. When we Give to ourselves, we, or when we try to give to ourselves, or see, you know, look, consider that we are immediately faced with our own feelings about ourselves. You know, do I deserve practice? Do I deserve love? Am I worthy? And you know, as the Buddha famously said. No one is more worthy of love than you. you know, we are all equally deserving of love. The, you know, we may face these cultural, this cultural conditioning or familial conditioning that says, oh, you should think about everyone else first. You know, that's, that's a nice ideal but does it really work if we don't take care of ourselves? Now, this doesn't mean that we should be selfish. There's a a difference between being generous to ourselves and being selfish. Selfishness is founded in the delusion that I am separate in some way and that I can get something and take something without that affecting others there's the for an alcoholic reference you know there 's the alcoholic who says well i wasn 't hurting anybody but myself well of course that 's never true. If we harm ourselves, we harm others. If we take from others, obviously we harm others I, you know I think this is uh, another, another one of those situations. Uh, so often, I find myself talking about the Dharma and and seeing that the the paradoxes. So when we talk about uh, the idea of being generous to ourselves without being selfish, this is uh, typical of the kind of subtle effort we have to make in practice, and that really requires attention and mindfulness to see: Am I doing this to uh, just uh, please myself, to bring pleasure to myself for my own gratification? Or am I doing this in order to create myself as a more, I guess I could say useful person, a better person? What's my purpose in this action I'm taking that I'm doing for myself? Uh, And of course, uh, as with any subtle effort like this, uh, we, we rarely hit that perfect sweet spot. We're, you know, we're gonna, there are going to be moments of selfishness. There are going to be moments of not caring for ourselves enough. But being attentive to that is important. So when we're really being generous to ourselves, we aren't taking anything from anyone else. You know, when we aren't harming other people. But essentially, when we heal ourselves, we are healing the world. When we care for ourselves in skillful ways, we are caring for the world. I mean, we can say that uh, the uh, the person who we have the most control over (laughs) is ourselves. The person we can help the most is ourselves. Uh, um, someone was asking me, I was, I was at a treatment center the other day teaching meditation and and someone was sort of asking about, well, you know, what about changing the world? Shouldn't we be out there do, changing the world? Of course, this is somebody who's, who's addicted to drugs and is trying to just uh, get over that, but now they want to fix the world. Um, you know, and... And this comes up in Dharma circles as well. Well, shouldn't we do more for the world? And, and of course, we should do what we can for the world. But of course, the world is made up of us, <laughs> and we are part of the world. And until we are healed, uh, we can't really help help the world. This is, the, of course, the you know what we saw when, uh, you know, the. Activists of the '60s, kind of acting out of anger and frustration, that that really wound up backfiring in so many ways, and and the realization that we have to bring a kind heart to our efforts to change the world, and and so our hearts must be healed in some way. We have to take care of ourselves first. Um, You know, there are people who uh, spend a great deal of their lives in intensive meditation. And the understanding from, a, uh, I guess, from just uh, you know, the viewpoint of someone who's committed to that life is that even if we aren't out in the world interacting with others, that that deep, deep peace and loving kindness that's cultivated in that kind of practice actually affects the world. In fact, there are some who say that what what holds the world together, that what keeps you know the world from falling into anarchy, is is the power of these people who are spending their lives practicing people that we don't even know about. I don't know if that's true, um, but there's a certain wisdom in that. So this is the starting point, in some sense, of generosity, starting with ourselves. Now, for me, that's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of relief in that um, so that uh, I don't have to you know, be running out trying to find ways to give things away or do things for other people when I don't feel that. And really, this work you know, g- inspires us. To give if you 've ever been on a meditation retreat, when you come out of that space of silence and practice, the heart is just overflowing you don 't have to think, Oh, it would be a good thing if I was nice to someone you know that 's just pouring out of us this is really this is authentic generosity it 's not contrived it 's not done for any uh, you know karmic purpose, like I'm going to get something back for doing it. It's just because it pours out of us. And this is why starting with ourselves is so important. Let me talk about generosity towards others. As the Buddha talked about, the the uh, quality of a karmic action, of a thought, word, or deed, is determined by the intention behind that thought, word, or deed. So intention is at the heart of the power of generosity. Uh, And this is one of the reasons why when uh, people talk about giving to the teacher, they don't talk about an amount. Uh, that's not, the, the power isn't in the amount that's given, that, but it's in the heart behind the giving. The, w- one of the examples I often use for, uh, for explaining the power of intention is if you're walking down the street and there's someone asking for money, homeless person asking for money, and you kind of stick a dollar in their bucket and kind of turn away and walk away. There's one karmic, uh, you know, effect of that that we know of, and that's how you feel inside, which is t- tension, tightness, disgust, aversion, unpleasant. You've given your dollar. The other is walking down, giving the dollar with a sense of kindness and caring and and compassion and the immediate karmic response for yourself. I don't know what happens to the, the person who's receiving necessarily, but I know that what happens inside me is completely different, very positive, and it's just because of the intention behind it. The action is the same, giving the dollar. But the intention behind it is completely different and causes a completely different karmic emotional effect. So we can say that loving-kindness is at the root of generosity. If our generosity, if our outward generosity isn't founded in compassion or loving kindness then it it can be a selfish action. It can be trying to i, I mean you know the the people who really buy the you know karma as a sort of um, you know ledger you know give give a certain amount and you know then from i've never been to Asia, but from what i understand there's a little bit of this kind of can go on in in that culture where, oh, quick, give something to the monks because then that'll get, you know, help us. Then we'll, something good will happen to us. You know, this kind of impulse obviously undermines the effect of the generosity. What's the intention behind it? If you're giving in order to get something back, that's not exactly giving, is it? It's not what I would call generosity. So one of the things that I I think is really important to consider about generosity is the forms of generosity. That again in our culture, generosity means money or stuff. You know? Merry Christmas. What are you going to give me? You know. <laughs> but there's so much more that we can give. Certainly our time maybe the most precious thing. Since our lives are finite, every time we give some of our time, we are giving some of our life to someone. Giving care, listening, one of the great acts of generosity. One of the practices I like to teach is is a mindful listening practice where I ask people to sit and listen without any response without nodding or smiling, uh, it, just receiving. Er, any kind of reaction to someone who is speaking to you is a, some, something of an interruption or, or a, a guidance. You know, If I smile when you say something, you know I, I like that. And so you tend to kind of want to follow along that. And that's me trying to control you rather than just allowing you to speak. You know, in the 12-step world, um, there's a lot of talking, goes on. And occasionally there's some listening, goes on. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I see is how people uh, jump in with answers and solutions. And, and this isn't just in the 12-step world, of course. If someone starts to talk about their problem, we so often want to just fix it. Now, that, see, that can, looks like kindness and generosity. And it's not that it's, it's not unkind. But we have to really look at why we are responding when someone starts to tell us their problems. And the first thing to notice is how you feel when someone starts to tell you about their problem. Most of us, when someone starts to tell us something bad is going on in their life, start to feel a little uncomfortable. Right? So one of the natural reactions to that is if I can make them feel better, if I can give them a solution and fix them, then I don't have to feel uncomfortable anymore. You know? So this is the subtle, the subtle way that we actually, even in appearing to be helpful, or appearing to care for others, that we actually don't allow them to just have their suffering to just allow it. what often happens in the 12 step world is that people have a checklist oh you should call your sponsor you should go to more meetings you should write some inventory do you have a higher power by the way and uh, (laughs) um, sort of uh, trying to plug in the fix and I've seen this really hurt people um, I actually had had something like this happen to me recently where um, I don't go to, I've been sober for 25 years and I don't go to a lot of meetings anymore and um, someone saw me at a meeting who I didn't know, who, someone I've actually seen many times but we had ne- never really interacted and he said to me after the meeting um, uh, I don't see you very often here very often. And I said, well, that's because I don't come here very often. <laughs> and then he said, well, you must go to uh, some other meetings. I said, no, I don't, I don't go to very many meetings. And he said, well, you need to go to more meetings. <laughs> and I thought, don't you know who I am? But. <laughs> Uh, it 's true that writing a book on recovery doesn 't protect me from my alcoholism. I could just as easily have a drink as anyone else, but I do feel that I have um, some sense of how to sort of work my program you know it 's been working so far and But what happened out of that and i 've heard many stories from others who 've had things like this happen to them but So I I recognized it, fortunately. What happened was I walked away with what we call in AA, a resentment. (laughs) And I thought, screw you, I'm not going to come back to this meeting. (laughs) And then I thought, oh, that's what happens to people. Because if you're new to a program and somebody comes on to you with this advice and telling you what to do, without actually knowing who you are, or anything about you, or what you might actually need, rather than their checklist, you kind of feel uh, like walking away, like like staying, like I'm not going to go here. I don't trust these people. You feel somehow undermined or betrayed, and uh, so it was such a great example to me of of this way of not listening, yeah. that, and the importance of listening it doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, ever give suggestions to people, but I think the most important thing is to be generous with our ears first, to really listen, listen then with our hearts. And if some answer comes after we listen with an open mind, with a mindful mind, that is without a story going on, but just listen, and if some answer then comes up that seems Helpful or wise, then maybe to respond. Maybe that—that's the moment to share, to be generous with your, with your heart. But but this way of you know trying to fix the other person or control them uh, really can cause incredible damage. So I was talking to someone. Um, in Sacramento a couple of weeks ago. I was teaching a day long, and at the end of the day, the person who organized the day, Jim Brown, who, who has uh, come to this group on more than one occasion, and I think he was a cook at Spirit Rock for some time. Anyway, he uh, uh, start, was talking to me about Donna and about um, the Ten Paramitas, which I'll explain a little bit for those who aren't familiar with them, um, and, and saying, oh, I'd like to write a book about the... T- dana and the ten paramitas. And um, so when I got this idea for a uh, dharma talk that I would talk about dana, I thought, okay, well, I think I'll steal that from Jim. Um, so now I've, I've given him credit, at least, for the idea. Uh, so the, the paramitas, paramita means something like perfections. And it was said that the Buddha perfected these qualities. Um, in the Mahayana tradition, there's six of them. In the Theravada, we have ten. Um, and the first one is generosity. So, um, but, so I'm going to talk about the other nine <laughs> so in the context of generosity. The second of the paramitas is virtue or morality. And to think of... Uh, Morality as a form of generosity. That when we live in a moral way, people can trust us. And we give them the gift of safety. This is one of the things that the Buddha talked about, the bliss of blamelessness. Um, And how when you are with someone who won't lie to you or won't steal from you, won't harm you in any way, that sense of safety that you have. You know, if you've ever... uh, been somewhere if you're on a retreat for instance and you have a bag with some things in it you put it down and you don't have a second thought that you know anyone would steal it they might pick it up by accident cuz they're like in yogi mind and walk off with of it but they it won't be stealing <laughs> the the next of the paramitas is, is renunciation now this is the gift we give people when we show them that it isn't material things that bring happiness. This is the gift that the monastics, one of the many gifts that monastics give to us. We see that accumulation is not necessary for happiness. And in fact, the monastics will say that renunciation, giving it away, just and not accumulating, is actually the way to happiness, not just not just not, you know, that you don't need to accumulate, but, but that the, the more you give away, the happier you'll be, in a sense. And, and, of course, this is again comes back to the Buddha's second noble truth. The cause of suffering is clinging, craving things. So the, when we practice renunciation, we practice letting go. We practice non-clinging. So naturally, it brings happiness. Next, the paramitas is wisdom. The, the gift of guidance and clarity. When we cultivate our own wisdom, when we give people our wisdom, be very careful that you're giving wisdom and not you know, a story or con- an attempt to control. But when you can give wisdom, what a tremendous gift to give. The next paramita is the paramita of energy. Uh, when we have energy... How that lifts everyone around us. It it uh, gives everyone uh, a sense of inspiration. This is the hardest one for me: patience. Paramita of patience. I actually uh, thought on on one walking session on a retreat one time. I thought maybe I should make uh, make up the reverse of the paramitas. Not sure that. The non-parameters, the imperfections—I call them—and impatience was the top of my list of the, imp- the imperfections. But when the gift we give people when we can be patient with them—ah, oh. watch my daughter taking piano lessons for, for five or six years—and her teacher just has that quality of patience. It's, it's never, never getting frustrated with the student who's just ding, 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 ding. I mean, you know, that takes real patience. (laughs) So the the gift of patience is is freeing people of the stress or pressure to get things done. Uh, The paramita of truthfulness, again, gives people a sense of safety, and the trustworthiness—that they can trust you. The paramita of determination, resolve. That clear vision, strong intention, you know, and the the uh, determination not to give up, to continue on. So inspiring. Um, I feel like, in some ways, I feel like this is. This is one i 'm better at because one of the things I have is i, I 've never thought of myself as a very good meditator, but I keep doing it every day that and I think that 's just more valuable than anything that just just to this is just what I do you know? um, and when p- people see determination, uh, they have this uh, again, kind of sense of trust or confidence that, that things will, will get done. Uh, next, the paramitas is loving kindness. Clearly, uh, that qu- quality is such a gift, and one that uh, is so valued in the Buddhist tradition, uh, the gift of caring for others. Uh, and the, the last of the paramitas is equanimity, a balanced mind. Giving that gift of peace, uh, something else that we see so strongly in the monastics. Um, you know, uh, uh, Ajahn Amaro is someone who I've practiced with a lot, and um, never seen him get upset in, in many different situations, um, and uh, you know, difficulties and problems. Uh, here he was, you know, just. Last spring, you know his Ajahn tomato said, "How would you like to move to England and become the abbot of monastery I'm, I want to retire uh, n- never i mean I, I'm sure there was something internally, but n- I never saw anything from him or heard anything from him, but oh, okay, this is what i'm doing now. I mean most of us would say, "Okay, yeah, sure, okay, so I have to leave i've been living here for." Twenty years, fifteen years, I'm gonna have to move, and I i mean, something, or at maybe at least maybe get really excited. You know? um, but just that balance of of not being um, overwhelmed by anything; nothing is overwhelming. So, a great gift again a, of an, ex- an example, if nothing else, and and again, someone that we can so trust. If you know someone is not going to be disturbed by anything you tell them. And I've talked to him, too, in another case with someone who I've talked to about some very personal, very difficult things in my life. I never saw him get pulled back or be disturbed or judge me in any way. Just this this real uh, sense of peace and balance. So this is, a, I think, a, a really lovely uh, Model for thinking about generosity. And again, it's not about stuff. You know, you don't have to think, oh, I don't make enough money to be generous. You know. Um, so it happened that uh, I'm curious how many people might be on uh, Rick Hansen's mailing list. Are there a few here? You get so he sends. Pardon. The one, the one that I get is, is the just one thing. He sends out these uh, little blog kind of things every week, talk about energy. The guys nonstop. But it was interesting that, that this came um, either last night or this morning, and it's called "Do You Accept the Gift." Receive generosity is the practice. So I want to read some of this and then uh, lead you in this practice. He said, "Life gives to each one of us in so many ways. For starters, there's the, there's the bounty of the senses, including chocolate chip cookies, jasmine, sunsets, wind singing through the pine trees, and just getting your back scratched. What does life give you? Consider the kindness of friends and family, made more tangible during a holiday season, but of course continuing throughout the year. Or the giving of the people whose hard work is bound up in a single cup of coffee. Or all those people in days past who figured out how to make a stone axe or a fire, edible grain, a loom vaccine, or computer, or wrote plays and novels, made art or music, developed mathematics and science, paths of psychological growth and profound spiritual practices, a few people whose names you know, and tens of thousands, millions really, whom you will never know each day their contributions feed, clothe, transport, entertain, inspire, and heal us. I really like this idea, not just of um, gratitude, but of something even more expansive. of Seeing really the marvel uh, of the world that we live in. Uh, and it reminds me too of how difficult it can be to receive a gift. Something that's probably difficult for a lot of people, at least in our culture, is for someone to give you a compliment. What do you say when someone says something nice to you? You look nice today. I like your new haircut. Or uh, you did that well. It's, this is a very tricky little place. And the way this particularly relates to generosity is that if we don't accept the kind words, and in fact, if we don't accept the, the gesture of generosity, that we are interrupting and not allowing for the fulfillment, for the karmic fulfillment of that effort. If we refuse the gift, as the Buddha says, it, doesn't, it belongs to the person who's trying to give it. He uses that as an example of somebody who's, who's berating him. He says, if I don't accept your insults, you know, they, they still belong to you. But the same applies to, the, to kindness. And, I, and I've seen this in my own life uh, you know, when I was a musician. and pe- I used to feel very uncomfortable when people would say something nice to me about my playing. But after a while, I started to notice that if, if I dismissed what they said, that they felt bad. And then I started to realize that I had a responsibility to accept and appreciate uh, what was given to me. Um, And not to question, do I deserve it? It's being given. So it's not a question of deserve. Here's a good one. It says, how about your DNA? The moment of your conception presented you with the build-out instructions for becoming a human being, the hard-won fruits of 3.5 billion years of evolution. Something to be (coughs) grateful for. You don't earn these things, he says. You can't. They are just given. The best you can do is to receive them. That helps fill your own cup, which is good for both you and others. It keeps the circle of giving going. When someone deflects or resists, one of your own gifts, how inclined are you to give again? It draws you into a deep sense of connection with life. And if nothing else, it's simply polite. So, uh, I'd like to do this as a practice, so I'll ask you just to close your eyes. You don't have to get into a big meditation posture, but... um, Start by thinking of something a friend has recently given to you, such as a smile, an encouraging word, or simply some attention. See if you can think of anything simple, a simple act of kindness from someone. And open to the feeling of being given to. Notice any reluctance, any thoughts of unworthiness, or a background fear of dependence, or the idea that if you receive, then you will owe the other person something. Try to open past any reluctance to accepting what's offered and enjoy the pleasure of this. Let it sink in that receiving generosity is good. Now pick something from nature. For example, open to the giving, folded into an ordinary apple, including the cleverness and persistence it took across hundreds of generations to gradually breed something delicious from its sour and bitter wild precursors. So just thinking of something you appreciate from nature. That you are receiving that. Now, contemplate something not living. Perhaps something with no apparent value like a bit of sand. In that single grain of sand are echoes of the Big Bang. The gift that there is something at all rather than nothing. Who knows what deeper, perhaps transcendental gifts underlie the blazing, bubbling emergence of our universe. Take a breath and enjoy receiving trillions of atoms of oxygen, most of them the gifts of an exploding star. Consider some of the intangibles flowing toward you from others, including goodwill, fondness, respect, and love. See if you can drink deeply from the stream coming from one person. Whatever goodwill, care, or respect is coming from one person. If you can have a sense of receiving that. as you recognize something positive being offered to you, try to experience it in a felt way in your body and in your emotions. see if you can receive the same care, or kindness, respect from other people. If you can, include your parents and other family members, any dear ones and friends. we are appreciated in many ways that we don't often allow ourselves to feel and to remember. And it's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's very healthy to remember that you are loved and that you are being cared for in many ways. Both personal and impersonal. You can open your eyes. Well, we have just a few minutes left. If there's any thoughts or questions. Well, I'm impressed. It's been very sedating. Um, then let's just close, and we'll do a dedication. And tonight, particularly, um, since we have a couple minutes, um, I want to talk about someone who's very uh, dear to the Western Dharma Sangha, um, who is uh, ill, and that is Santikaro. Um, he is formerly Santikaro Biku, formerly a monk, who was Ajahn Buddhadasa's translator. Ajahn Buddhadasa, one of the great figures, one of the towering figures of 20th century Thai Buddhism, and Santikaro was a monk with him for many years. And Santikaro has been diagnosed with uh, an aggressive form of uh, lymphoma, uh, which according to his blog, which I was just reading earlier, um, is also one which uh, has a good success rate for treatment. But uh, he was in Thailand and was starting to feel very uncomfortable, thought he was constipated, and uh, went for an MRI, and they discovered a mass. So he flew back immediately uh, just about two weeks ago. And he lives in the Midwest, so he's going to the Mayo Clinic, so he's well taken care of. But um, part of my daily practice is to think of people who I know are uh, ill in some way, usually chronically ill. So if you uh, have such a practice, I would really ask you to add the name Santi Caro to your practice. Uh, but let's do some, um, a dedication of merit, and I'd like to dedicate this evening to Santi Caro and to his healing. So just, once again, closing your eyes. Remembering that this gift of practice we give ourselves is really for the benefit of all beings. We are not separate from other beings or from the rest of the universe. We are a part of embedded in all that is. As we cultivate wisdom and compassion, we heal and enlighten the world. May our practice tonight, our sincere devotion to the Dharma, be of benefit to Santa Caro. May he be fully and completely healed. May all beings who suffer be healed. May all beings find the path to freedom and take the steps to achieve their own full enlightenment. Thank you very much, and I hope you have a joyful holiday, if you have a holiday. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.